Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 3, where we explore all things sports coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Three excellent guests join me this week, so please, could you introduce yourselves and tell us your current role? Uh, hi, I'm Kaz Morgan. Um, I currently work with the England senior team uh, under Eddie Jones, and then been there for uh, four and a half years now as a England Senior Performance Analyst. Hi, my name's Dan Cooper. Uh, I currently head up the analysis department at Bath Rugby, uh, and I've been there for just, this is my fifth season now. Hi, I'm Jack Lawrenson. I'm currently uh, head performance analyst for Wales Women, 15s and 7s, and formerly I was head of England 7s performance analysis. Wonderful. There's definitely a theme. So uh, looking forward to this. Um, just before we start, a quick reminder to anyone listening to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links to all the content we discuss and recommendations to other high quality content. So, uh, yeah, can't wait to get stuck in. Kaz, you are going to lead us off. So what is it you're going to talk to us about? Um, I was just going to I was going to start us off on uh, just an article that I read by um, a football coach called Jane Ludlow. Uh, it was part of the leaders uh, conference and the uh, title, I guess, is the strike in the right balance between innovation, empowerment and fundamentals. Just thought it was a really interesting piece around what modern day players and coaches, what it looks like and so a little bit of um, dispelling some of the myths that there are in professional sport. Um, just a little bit about her background. She was a very successful footballer at Arsenal and she's now a coach, but again, really good to see um, the way she's approaching coaching is is not just transferring what she does she did as a player um and i guess some of the some of the key things out of it really is um you know how this whole buzzword around learning how people learn but actually um a lot of people say we haven't actually changed how we learn it's just the environment around us has changed you know obviously with technology how we see information i find that quite fascinating so it's a little bit on that um, like she speaks a lot about sticking to the basics as well. Like again, with the environments changing, everything that goes on is that we can almost get seduced into different things that, that goes on around us. And, and actually a lot of successful teams in the past uh, have been able to, to do the basics really well, but be able to brand it in different ways and be able to, so I guess, sell it and use it multimodally, not just in one way so that it's not boring that, you know, this term, this term that it's uh, it's almost like sexy for for new players going forward, and then this this new concept as well. She speaks at, at the bottom of the article about checking for understanding, and that's that's a common thing I hear now in um, in coaching, teaching, you know, analytics. Uh, you know, it's that same where you hear the the common thing a coach saying, "Oh well." Um, yeah, I spoke. I spoke to him. I spoke to her. She knows what she needs to do. Like, how how do you actually know? Like, do you know? So again, the, this this kind of this exploration around checking for understanding. Uh, what what does it actually mean? How do people do it? Uh, is it formal? Is it informal? So yeah, that that was probably those were the three main things out of it, I guess. Great stuff. Thanks, Kaz. I. 
I guess best way to kind of get stuck into some of this, you, you guys are all in, you know, pretty high profile environments is, is maybe just throw it back at you guys and say, how, what does that look like in, in those environments? Like, how do you bring some of this to life? Because I, I do think it's one, maybe one of those things that it's easy for lots of coaches to talk about it. I, th- I think we can, you know, verbalize it really well around or how we present feedback or data or whatever it might be. But actually, you, you kind of hear that disconnect or you see that disconnect between maybe what some people say and actually how it's delivered. So like, how would you guys go about delivering this effectively? And, and as you say, kind of coming back to that checking for understanding, like how do you know it's worked? Um, sort of on that, the, the third point Kaz mentioned about the, the checking for understanding is something that sort of strikes massively with my current role. Um, like Wales women, women are fully amateur um, they've all got sort of uh, full-time jobs and then they, they train with us in the evenings. And I think we're a fairly new management group. Um, the majority of the staff have, have just started in the past six months or so. And we have all come from um, sort of male sports and full-time sports. And it's something we, in our review last week, admitted that we got quite wrong um, in the sort of preparation for this, this Six Nations bit. And whilst we try to go with what we know and give the players as much autonomy um, as possible so that they were coming up with their own game plans and their own understanding around opposition teams and and how we were going to play the game, what we didn't get right was that check for understanding. And if if anyone was sort of aware of our our first two results in particular, um, we just got aspects of the game completely wrong. And it's something where we've admitted we need to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Um, and with a group of amateur athletes who perhaps haven't been in the environments that, that we've been used to, um, is how to get that check for understanding. And what uh, Warren Abrahams, the, the head coach, talks a lot about is um, autonomy and competent- competency um, and where we are on that sort of spectrum. And we probably assumed that they were further up that spectrum. So we have, we've had to take it back a little bit and take some of that autonomy away. And we've now got to work on sort of different tactics to check for that uh, level of understanding in, in what, we're, what we're giving. I, I think as well, just on that, Jack, it's, an interesting, it's interesting you say there, like uh, about understanding the environment you're in as well, like because... I reckon there's a deeper part to that, like it's understanding the individual, like an individual could understand a certain piece of information, whereas another can't. Uh, and that's, that's like the evolution that I find is yeah. that it's like this, um, like, cause some players you can, you, you could, you could literally put five or six things up. They could be really detailed and you know, they're going to remember them. Um, but then how do you then explore the, the ones that need to know certain things? And uh, is there a, is it deeper questioning that's involved? You know, is do certain coaches work with certain players that you can can you can you categorize certain players that type of thing? Or it's it's like a whole new space that that's going into. Yeah. That's the way I see it anyway. I think it's a really interesting topic because we've all got different um, environments. So, like Jack, you talk about amateur, part time, uh, casual, probably short and intense don't see the players for a lot of time yeah. and then we're kind of flip where we spend that much time together uh, you go back to like checking for understanding but also how you brand and theme it keeping things simple is also a challenge of not being having the same messages for 40 weeks as well so the challenge of keeping learning 
and understanding like different whilst trying to keep some things the same if that makes sense so we've got a, we we do find it you know the challenge of being together um all the time but trying to reinvent um how we see the game or a game plan or, or how we challenge learning um uh, yet fundamentally see their growth over time is, is, is a challenge in itself I think sort of building on what Kaz said a little bit there about checking sort of for the for the individuals, it's kind of flipped completely from where I was with sevens before and Coops, as with you, like we saw the players all the time, each day, every day. And we probably knew the individuals that we had to, um, to check their understanding. There was probably one or two in a group of, of 20. And now I think that's almost flipped and like you say, there's probably four, five, six individuals that the understandings are given and they really understand their areas, whether it's it's line-out calls or backs plays or um, sort of turnover stuff. And we're having to check the, the majority of the understanding that it's, it's flipped completely from the majority understanding we had to check individuals. And now we know a couple of individuals are fine, but we've got to check the majority. And again, it's, it's finding the techniques for that larger group um, on both an individual level and a and a wider level, with with really limited time contact time with the players, and, and especially with with COVID as well, um, players are sort of turning up at six o'clock after work, we're straight into a meeting, then they're into the gym session, then they're into training, and by then it's nine o'clock, and everyone sort of needs to get home because their alarms are set for for five a.m. for a nursing shift the next day. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's sort of flipped completely to what I've been used to with a, a full time seventh program. I reckon on that, Jack, there's one one of the bits is in that article as well is about um, like if you look at the I'll get to the point now, but like you look at the whole like you look at the amount of information and data there is in our world now. You know the amount of things that get collected, the, the increase in technology, um, resources, that type of thing. Like what's the like biggest bang for buck? I guess that's your that's the challenge for you guys, isn't it? It's like what is you go, there's you know, there's 10 different things here, but how how do you have that skill as a as an analyst and a coach to be able to pick out what are the one or two things? And yeah, you can use data and stuff to inform you with that, but then at the same time you're you know, you're making a real educated guess. And and as well, it's got to be collaborative amongst different coaches and, and what that looks like. I, 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 again, it's probably, this is probably a little bit different for you, Coops, is that being in a week-to-week a -week program, that's probably one of the biggest challenges we find is that we we watch, you know, we watch you guys week in, week out. We watch all, all different competitions. Like, there's all these new ideas, but then what's, what's the thing that applies to us and actually what can we get our biggest bang for buck? How, how quickly do you guys think players can learn? So in your environments, because I, my thought, and I, I can't remember if I've spoken about this on the podcast or not before, but I, I tend to think that at an elite professional level, probably session to session, you'd be hoping, like definitely week to week, like you're not, you're not going to exist in an international team if you can't take on those messages and improve one week to the next. But actually, I then kind of bring that all the way down to a community club team or a kids team and go, well, if if week to week is the best that the elites can manage, like what, what's a realistic scale for community players? Because I, I think we maybe lose that con conception of it's probably going to take me six months 
to, to, to really see the change that I want to see in some of these players or for them to, to actually develop that level of understanding. And I, I think just because the games operate week to week, we maybe lose that track of, well, actually, how quickly can my players learn what I'm asking them or what they're wanting to achieve themselves? I, I, I think it goes on to, to, to my piece shortly, but I think it massively depends on uh, the coach or the teacher, whoever it is, their ability to create meaning to the learning. Um, I think if you can do that and reflect on it to get better, I think there's no harm in that. I don't, I can't see why it can't be every, you know, every day or every session. Um, I think if we don't truly understand uh, how to get the how to learn, uh, how people learn and how best they learn, if we don't, if we don't get that right, I think it then does become week, uh, you know, it's week to week or even longer, because you. Your perception is you're doing something right, or they're just not learning, they're just not getting it through, but actually you're not connecting with them. Um, so it massively, um, yeah, I think it massively depends on that. And I, I feel like that's something that which where no matter what environment you're in, is something you can develop, um, you know, with the teachers or the experts is actually just reflecting on uh, on, on on our understanding of how people learn or how how we attach meaning because it, it's, it's a skill it does take time you can't just do it like that um, um, yeah I, I think just on that Coops I, that, that sums it up perfectly is like attaching that that's what I wrote just then is that attaching A it needs to get coached isn't it and then B is like actually how can you attach the meaning to the play like the player's meaning to it and there's a deeper thing about how do you set questioning to make them think about it after after training or and things like that that's part of learning isn't it like um and i it's funny phil because it's like everyone wants everyone's like everyone wants an answer don't they everyone wants a number everyone wants to go yeah it's it's i'm not saying that's what you want there but like you're everyone wants to go yeah it's going to take you six weeks this is a plan these are this you need to do x y and z but it's like it's so complex and it's often messy like i i i find like um I don't know if you guys do them, but like IDPs, you know, like individual development plans, they they baffle me, especially when you see like three or four things on there. I just think it's, and again, even at the elitist level, like the best players in the world, I actually don't think unless it's one thing it, that you won't improve at it. I, think, I reckon it has to be one thing and then you'll, you'll find yourself might improve at other things. It's like you almost need a focus point to start with and then you build around it, if that makes sense. I find it as well with like watching watching games live. It's like if I'm trying to look at uh, lineup plays, then um, where the kick space is, where uh, what's happening in phase, what they're forwards trying to do, that type of thing. You, you actually end up seeing nothing. Whereas like if you focus on one thing, you start to see everything. And I think it's the same with, with learning. Like if you've got a focus point you're going towards and you can really dip dig into that and like make that deep and, and meaningful like Coop said and and coach it and then I think the other stuff starts to supplement around it but having like that focus point as well would be the other thing I would add to that like to help with learning I think there's something around IDPs being a self-awareness piece though isn't there like mine would probably have the under construction bit would probably have one two three six things on it I'm, I'm only working on one like there's there's definitely and saying that like two well one that would lead to another two but i purely for for two reasons number one just because of covid we haven't actually been able to do a load of the stuff that would relate to the others but actually as you say you just yeah if you want to get into the detail of it and some of the research and some of the practicalities and you want to do it well 
And then it's is also the unexpected consequence of just what that leads to, I find. Do you know what I mean? You, you end up down a rabbit hole trying to improve something and then it's just this like, oh, holy shit, I did not know, I didn't know so much about what else is down here. Um, so being able to just jump, but I think having that awareness of actually there's there are a number of other things I would want to be better at, I think is a good it's a good part of the process, as you say, then it's just trying to link link those pieces up and, and kind of connect the puzzles, I guess. But yeah, no, that's cool. Um, from your guys' perspective, what can be done earlier to create better learners or maybe even more self-aware learners? Like how, what would you do earlier in the pathway or earlier in a player's career to, to enable you to be, I guess, uh, or them to be more effective in, in your environments a little bit later? Generally, within within 15s, you've got kind of senior, you know, your junior academy, senior academy. You've got them players that are earmarked, kind of coming through, and you know, is is as early as possible, start to build a relationship with them as, as early, get to know them, get to understand them, um, because in reality, they jump jump into our system in a in a preseason, and typically they're not going to play for a period of time, or unless you've got Prem Cup or A League, or um, you know, they're settling in, and it's just kind of bit. It's a, Backwards, you end up spending so much time on you know, the first team or the you know the senior players and that stuff, right? Is is before you know it, they've gone eight weeks and you haven't got to know them. You don't know how they learn. You just presume that not, not sorry. You, you don't presume, but they kind of you hope that they just end up carrying on like everyone else does, and then you miss them. Um, so yeah, that that would be my my thing, and it's something um, with COVID. We, I think we had like a two-week kind of preseason this last one, so that's kind of the forefront of my my head going into into a, a normal preseason now. Is actually how many how many people can I connect with each day or get to know a little bit better each day? Then helps and um, give me some knowledge and understanding to how they might want to prepare or learn in the future. Yeah, I guess my my take on that would be would be quite similar. Like with younger players, I think like needs to be. Uh, you can't can't mould them into what you're trying to do. Like uh, I think they they need some level of freedom in what they're trying to do. Like like I like that toolbox analogy. You know, give them as many tools as possible when they're younger, and then they can they can bring out whatever tools they. I reckon there's jumping the gun too early with that in terms of in terms of learning. Like this is the way to play, or um, as you would have seen, you guys would have come across it loads. But it, uh, that's the big thing for me is for them to be themselves, to fight like almost find themselves. I think it's the same with learning, you know, playing, learning, um, like almost not put too many constraints around them. And then, you know, like you say, get to know them as they evolve. And uh, and then, like you say, you can sharpen those tools up as, as you go along. But like for me, it'd be that open-minded stuff, like, you know. Yeah, I think I'm sort of sitting between what, what both of you, you say and like just, like Coop said, just spending time with people. But if, if just from a young age, you're just sitting down with someone and just watching a game, like whatever game or sport it, it is and just um, sort of seeing what they what they notice. Um, I mean, my sort of way of, of learning how a, an opposition team plays, for example, is just to commentate to myself as I'm watching. And if I'm just writing down notes and just highlighting things that are sort of recurring, recurring themes. And even if uh, you're just sort of sitting down with someone watching a game, talking through, like Kaz says, giving them different techniques to, to pick out what someone's doing in a, in a line out or in a back starter move or something. And then you're just talking like, how would you uh, sort of remember that? How would you um, teach that to someone in, in the future? 
because uh, I find one of the best techniques is if um, someone has to explain something to someone else. I don't think I'm wording this very well. Um, but if, if someone's um, learning a, a technique, um, if they can then teach that technique to someone else, uh, find the way which they, they can word it better or, or demonstrate it better, and that creates a better understanding. So if you go beyond the step of learning to be able to teach something, then that sort of ensures a bit of um, uh, retention in your own mind. Love it. Really great suggestions, guys. Thank you. Um, I'm already slightly conscious of time, so uh, I think we'll, we'll part that one there and uh, we will move on to Coop. So cheers for that, Kaz. Coops, what are you going to chat to us about? Um, it actually flows on really nicely, actually. It is, is um, a Learning Styles TED Talk by Tessia Marshik. Um, she's an associate professor at the uh, psychology at the University of Wisconsin and the actual TED talk is from uh, a little bit a uh, period of time ago about 2015 but um, similar to some of the stuff Kaz was saying it was about kind of dispelling myths um, that are kind of out there around learning styles and um, it's it's just a good it's, I mean, it's an 18 minute TED talk but it's just a real you know real quick uh, but quite informative snapshot and it just gets you juices flowing around around the, the topic um, basically starts off just kind of identifying that the traditional learning styles or you know the video audio kinesthetic uh, they are predominantly or you know wrong um, and they and un tries to get down to understanding why that myth exists and, and, and it's quite easy really everyone's doing you know everyone's doing it it's easy to do there's a lot of confirmation bias out there um, sounds good it sounds almost sexy to have a different style um, or an individual style um, and ultimately with the confirmation biases people don't look at themselves to prove themselves wrong they, they have an idea that someone is this type of learner or I am this type of learner therefore it's the only way to learn um, she backs it up with some good good research um, that was done a long, a long time ago in the 70s but still prevalent today and it was around uh, kind of chessboard uh, chess players and, and different scenarios on a chessboard um, and they were, they looked at the recall of they compared novice and expert chess players and they would show a picture of a situation in chess uh, for 10 seconds take it away and the novice players couldn't pick up couldn't recall where all the all the pieces were whereas the experts could um, they then did this again in a randomised format, so the pieces might have been in a in completely random place that wouldn't actually even link to the rules of the game, and their ability to recall dropped to the level of the novice. And a lot of the research showed, or the when they looked at um, the analysis afterwards, that it's purely about the attachment to meaning of the first piece. So because they were experts and had played the game more, that that situation they lived in it that moment more often than the novice players and they can see the moves they can see the strategies of where all the things are because they built that up over time when they randomized it their ability to recall had nothing to do with the learning styles it was to do with whether it had meaning or not and it had no meaning because actually the pieces were in the wrong places for it to be a real life situation um yeah so it's, 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 a, it's a real good like, like i say 18 minute um listen um, and, and literally kind of brings it back down to a few things we've kind of spoken about already. Most of what we learn is stored in terms of meaning. To, to be able to kind of 
retain it and therefore understand it. Like our, our brains want to kind of organize it in a meaningful way. So going back to some of the stuff we talked about, it's how you make connections to that learning. And you can look at it in a lot of scenarios in our world of, of line outs, you know, you can, you can watch line outs on TV, you can do the analysis and stuff, but actually being also in the moment, teaching moves, teaching where spaces, teaching body language, feeling it, getting it wrong, experiencing it. You can see that development over time. And I suppose the greatest challenge in our roles is kind of like, how do you try and create that learning environment in a game that's so chaotic, in a game that, that isn't no more single game is the same? And that, that's always going to be our greatest challenge because that's the way the, the game is. Um, how do we make learning moments more meaningful? Um, and it gets me gets me thinking a lot to, you know, how we design our training, how we do all sorts, because we do, you know, we all will all do a lot of meetings and, and uh, post match or post event reflective stuff. You know, we've got drones, we've got different views, which is great. And, um, it gets me thinking a lot about how we can try and get them to make them connections in the moment as well and eventually develop themselves to be able to learn more autonomously um, without a third party. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really good lesson. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. I think you asked some great questions in there, Coops. That's that's really interesting. I, the, the one note I just scribbled down is where does meaning come from? Mm. And and I, I guess revert back to the, the conversation we've just had. If if we don't know the individual and we can't understand that, or maybe if they don't even think about it, I, I guess from some of the more philosophical individuals and they like those kind of deep and interesting and and you know maybe unanswerable questions. But actually, if you're and I say superficial, not in a negative way, if you're a little bit more just dealing with what's in front of you and, you know, quite practical, how would you guys go about influencing and having conversations with those types of players that aren't necessarily reflective or don't have those reflective skills to kind of recognise meaning and why it's important or how that builds into their picture? Yeah. One I quite like, because we've all probably worked with, uh, inverted commas, the, the instinctive, you know, the players, you know, they might not um, talk a lot in meetings, they might not reflect a lot uh, openly, or they might not know how to um, converse what they're seeing into, into words. But I, I, this is not to do anything research-based, but I just love the fact of, trying, of creating situations where they can informally chat with their with their peers a little bit in a safe environment. It comes back to other things, you know, being, being able to be vulnerable and not quite, it's okay not to be able to talk, you know, reflect on it, because I don't know how to. Um, but I still think you can get to a place where you can um, explore and come out with some understanding through, I think in that situation, a lot more peer-to-peer -peer stuff, but that's just, that's just a feel for me. I think you're, you're sort of spot on there, Coops. And when, um, sort of my specific example of that is when the women integrated with the men's sevens at the Lensbury. And uh, we sort of tried various techniques in sort of upscaling the women's team to be able to review their own training sessions, preview their own opposition and stuff, and, and sort of formal sit down in front of a, a lecture screen type thing. But the best one which was actually something we had nothing to do with and then just overhearing the men's players who were probably a bit more experienced 
um, doing it off their own backs in, in sort of the coffee area. So we deliberately set up uh, IMAX in the coffee area and just the women sort of overhearing this and gradually getting involved and linking up with um, sort of players of, of similar position and just, oh, can, can you talk me through like what you're watching in training? Can, can you sit down and have a look at my performance with me? And like something we had nothing to do with, we didn't link up mentors or anything like that. It was just a purely sort of natural uh, organic thing where they just gravitate to what the men were doing, sitting in groups, talking over training, sitting in, in um, units groups, chatting through opposition stuff. And it was just a case of, oh, can I just sit in and listen on this? And of course, no one's going to say no. And it just sort of built up from that area of just um, the lads almost setting an example of, of how to do it. Um, and the girls finding their own way from there. And then it eventually came that the girls were able to do it themselves in their own unit groups, watching their own training sessions and stuff. So I think that sort of peer-to-peer, -peer, just completely organic uh, stuff is, is gold. And we can sit around, as we've spoke about before, trying to get people to do in, in certain ways and give them certain techniques. But if, if you can just have that peer-to-peer -peer organic stuff, that's, that's the winner in my eyes. Yeah, I'd, I'd jump off the back up. The, the first the first bit was interesting around uh, what you're saying, Coops. Like an example we had where actually until the, until you have the experience, you don't you don't it, the the pain doesn't drop sort of thing. Like we had a player who like wasn't conditioned to play international rugby, but said, "Yeah, I will be. I know what I need to do." Time goes by, uh, comes on fifth minute against an opposition has to play 75, not not conditioned to play. And it was that moment that the trigger point went. Like, you know, it's that whole Tyson thing, isn't it? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Like, I reckon that's that's part of it. It's like, how do you, how does that transfer, first of all? Sometimes it takes a penny to drop. Then you can jump off the back of that. Like, it, that's that's like, uh, like, for me, like a coaching moment, you can jump off the back of it. Uh, somebody not getting selected and um, somebody else gets bigged up in a meeting, like, how do you then, that person hasn't got selected, there's a huge co coaching moment there, isn't it? That could be that penny dropping moment. So I think that that's part of it. And then just jumping off the back, what Jack was saying there, like those, and your question specifically, Phil, like we would do, like, it's that whole like Vin Walsh stuff, like the power of four, like as soon as you get to like five, six people, you, you know, you, you watch it, you go into a pub, restaurant, anywhere around the world, like you, as soon as you get five, six people, you have, fragmented conversations like some people say sort of three but four maximum four three people conversations again means that like you say in coops you can have those more engaging conversations you can open up about certain things and again they're part of your peer group as well so you know you're experiencing those same things so the things that you're speaking about is relevant as well you know it's not like um our forwards chatting about carrying off nine you know that's not relevant to me I'm, I'm going to disengage myself from this. So everything's like really specific. Like we've done a lot of work probably over the last, I guess two years really, the start of the World Cup was that everything's turned into sort of positional groups and made it really specific. Um, so the inside backs will focus on what they need to do in the game, like this, you know, speak about controlling the game, whatever it may be. The outside backs, you know, what's the pertinent thing for this week when they're playing against Ireland, for example. Um, Obviously, that has its challenges as well. Like, how do you how do you connect those guys outside of that app? And that's that's you know it's, it's pros and cons to everything. But uh, we found that that has made a huge difference in terms of 
uh, people being able to review, like players being able to review more, being able to be more open, be able to have those peer-to-peer peer peer conversations, like you said, Jack. You know, there's so many little techniques that you can put into your environment to facilitate that as well. Like putting less laptops out means that they actually have to crowd around. And again, people go to your, you know, you've been lazy, you're only carrying three round with you instead of six, but it's, it's you know, it's purposeful. Um, it just means that more people have got to have discussions and stuff. Interesting. That, that yeah, group, the groups of four stuff, I think, so, has been has been really beneficial for us. Yeah, just in a practical sense, something we did. I mentioned it to you guys a while back. Something we chose to do. I think at the start of the uh, nineteen twenty season was actually not. Um, focus too much on giving the individuals out to the players, the individual clips or whatever. So we, we, we completely changed the way we coded the game to try and reflect more unit-based stuff to then help create them conversations. So actually we tried to, because actually the way, what analysts have done over the years is, we, is we've, we've tried to create all this information, all this data and all these individuals and actually like build up this kind of narrative of how people should reflect and review their games. We've probably caused... A little bit of a hole in learning because we've made it so individual that that their ability to understand their their individual part within the greater machine um, through some of the techniques we've used. It, it, I think as a community, we've just done that over time. Not obviously not not in any way on purpose. And now, what as as an example, what we're doing here is we will look at. Um, pods or a group of pods that will play off in a certain area or the inside uh, or the type five forwards. So all the type five forwards get to have a look at this part of the game, whether they were directly involved in there with the ball or not and see how, and try and reflect on how their part played in the bigger picture of what it may, whatever it may be, creating speed of ball or, or, or whatever. So it's, um, as a practical um, example, that's something we've tried to do. Um, but naturally, you get a little bit of resistance because you know you'll get the odd players like wearing the clips. Yeah, but it's not normal, is it? It's not what they used to. Not normal. It's not normal for for the whole time they've come up from the from the seniors, like uh, from the juniors, or you know that's all they've been known to have. So uh, it takes time. It is it's an interesting topic generally. There isn't there like. I like like you say there. It's traditional. Like we we like you say as analysts are probably facilitate that gap in learning in terms of the engagement peer to peer because it's the traditional way that you came up that it goes back a little bit to the conversation earlier when you're a young analysts coming through it's like this is how you do things you, you code games give them individuals and I, that that's the big thing for me is like having that exploration around that you know actually what's meaningful what was it we're trying to achieve that type of thing but the, the other thing i find interesting with that groups is like Again, you know, all the research out there now about Generation Z, and it's true, is that, um, you know, pe- pe- people can't sit and watch long videos now. You know, like, can't, don't watch rugby. We know that. Like, that's common now, isn't it? People don't, like, younger players don't watch full rugby games, whereas, you know, back in the day, speak about um, everybody sits around, watches a whole game together, and they pick out things. Like, it's almost unnatural. And you look at social media now, it's gone from like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just photos. And people look at snapshots. So there's the information gets filtered. So it's shorter and shorter. And I, I have this like 
I don't know, I guess two sides of the story where do you do you do your analysis? I guess the question for you guys is like, do you do your analysis to facilitate that? So do you or do you get them to or do you do you push the boat and make it longer? So like chatting to um Craig Bennett in Melbourne Storm, he goes, I, I don't give a I don't know if I swear on it. I don't give a shit um about about if the players need to learn something, then they've got to they've got to watch all of it. You know, they've got to they've got to sit in an hour meeting. But then the other side is that if we're trying to maximize learning, then that's not the best way to do it. Like I just find this is really interesting dynamic around um, you know, what is the best thing? Like is it to push and stretch them to 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 be able to do that, or is it to first to facilitate how the world is now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It is it is challenging. There's, there's some things we try and do. Uh, I presume you guys have done it a little bit before. Is like, I can potentially structure your. That's where your theming comes in. I find if you can theme your weeks or blocks of time that has a little bit of a longer term understanding that isn't just a couple of minutes. So that then messages get repeated and you build in your story around that message because that's what we're that's what we're looking at. That try and stretch their imagination to like this is a, a, a three or four week period where we're we're targeting this and then within that you've got your week to week your little five ten minute snapshots and they build up as they go on it, it is a it's a fascinating balance uh, and it's constantly something that you're trying to you know we, we we're getting some good debates at work about it it's like that cognitive overload versus well actually it's the information we need they need to help exp- express themselves in the way that they want to I mean, the game is, the game's 80 minutes, you know, whistle to whistle. You know, our last game was two hours long with TMOs and, and all this stuff. It's actually now, like, the game, the game is actually longer than it is. Yet, generations, you know, with Zed, what we're talking about at the minute is actually ability to retain concentration information is actually shorter. So, it's a challenge. Yeah. Just uh, going to sort of reinforce something you said there, Coops, and it's, it's something I've done... Uh, very similarly like last couple of years um is once we've coded individuals uh the coaches will get the stats and everything but for the players i'll strip all the um contents out so they'll just get blank clips uh it's found like a, certain players would really quibble over like your definitions of how you've coded a, a missed tackle maybe and get hung up on a, a percentage or, or whatever it might be um and found that sort of the uh or their thoughts around their execution of a skill was influencing their decision-making a little bit. So someone might have flown, again, using rugby as an example, someone might have flown out of the line and missed a tackle, but actually that decision was was spot on. Um, so by just giving them the blank clips, they weren't getting hung up on a, a 58% as opposed to a 68% or something like that. Um, or that fly out and miss might have given people elsewhere time to realign. And there were also times where your um, your coding doesn't necessarily, or your definitions don't necessarily cover something. So if someone's being lazy and they're not in a picture or on the screen where they should be, and they, was, they say, oh, you've coded me here, but I'm not in the picture. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, why aren't you in that picture? And we've um, encouraged all our players to sort of watch all their clips before they come into a coach's meeting so that they have formed, and we called it stories over stats, they've formed their own opinion of their game 
um, before they've come into a coaches meeting rather than just being sit there and waiting to be told or already having an idea of what they're going to be told because my stats have, have told them that. So they, before I give them any, and there's some players who do really like their stats um, and sort of can justify why they want to see them. Um, but I make them come to me with how they think they performed, where they think they've improved from the previous week, so on and so forth, before I'll, I'll give them anything to, to look at in terms of numbers. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, Jack. Like, I, I like that sort of concept of, of doing that. And the other thing with, you know, you're saying about them being prepared um, to come to meetings with, like, their story, if you like. Um, because that Paddy Upton, like that cricketer always said, like cricket coach always said, oh, you know, the the world doesn't like produce thinking players now because our professional sport is. And that's so true. Like we probably haven't done it in that sense. Like that's probably a good way, something we could look at. But we we would send out, like say we're playing France, like we'd send out clips, like say the night before or whatever, just to give people uh, an idea or like create some thoughts process in their mind to get them to think about or it might be the morning before the meeting the afternoon whatever it may be but I reckon there's there's something around that as well like provoking it's provocation isn't it like getting players to think about their own performance before like using that coach as a, as a crutch or or whatever it may be I think there's more that can be done around that like we sort of when we reviewed uh that from the Six Nations we said we could probably be a bit more deliberate with that like be a bit more you know, a bit more specific around who we who we provoke, who needs it, you know, that type of thing. I'd be really thought conscious around it. I reckon there's there's definitely something in that just just triggered my mind there. But it just goes to show there's so many techniques you can use, isn't it? And like and you 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 just gotta fit them into what, what your environment is. Yeah, massively. I speak to my my brother over in Bordeaux and they do something where they have like they'll they'll target 10 or 12 players a week. And the, and the road to changes doesn't matter in your leadership group, whatever it may be. That that ten or twelve, um, even if they're not playing, as the target of the week for you know the theme, the 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 the, the messaging, um, also that, a little bit of that story time. So you do that a little bit of that story time as they come in before on a, on a Monday to reflect. It's something we've. It's, it's a good point you've got got me thinking about us and what we do is. Post lockdown, when the games were every four or five days, um, it, get, it proposed a great challenge around not give, not doing too much on the opposition, not focusing too much on them, not get, not overloading information because our ability to go game review, you know, um, prepare, like we, it got challenged in a way that has never happened in rugby. So we started to do stuff where, rather than give them all their individuals because we didn't think that was right, we actually tried to get our so our coaches in their areas will give two or three specific bits of information back. So then a player's getting 10 meaningful clips, um, a positive, negative, whatever it may be, you know, and, and around aspects of their game. Um, but now you've got, you know, already starting to get me think about, are we, because we continue to do that because we felt it was a real good, again, not not 40 individual clips. We've got some, some unit-based stuff, but then we've got that ability to get some real meaningful information between the coaches and players. But then are we just creating some form of bias before they even come into the, on a Monday morning? Because that- Yeah, again, it's the question, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, the, maybe, maybe not. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it probably when you you probably have to analyze the language. Um, is it question based? Is it explorative? Is it you know? Is it that's not good? Is it what do you think here? Is you know depends on what you're asking, but um, yeah, it's, it's probably something I'm going to look at a lot further in the off season. But, uh, I think just on that as well, because there's a, there's a deeper thing to that in terms of teaching, isn't there? Like teaching is. Everyone thinks teaching's just, or sorry, coaching, teaching, same thing, whatever. Like it's, they think it's just on the field or it's in a classroom or it's, it's in a meeting. I think like, because the level of analysis there is now and, you know, how easy it is to, to even like, you know, coaches sending WhatsApp clips out and that, even that I think is people need to start thinking about the type, exactly what you just said there, to avoid those biases, to avoid painting pictures in the head that you don't want them to. Sometimes you might want to, by the way, but like, to avoid that, then you need better questions on on clips, and you need to think about those sort of things. And I think that's that's probably another area where we probably need to pay more attention to as well. Like that, that's, that got me thinking as well how we do things there. Really, really interesting. I wonder actually if it means the game becomes from a a data perspective a little bit less important. So actually, it's it's more about that kind of learning journey for want of a better term is that's that's a bit of a cliche but if if i my picture as an athlete is i'm moving through this process and the game is a source of data but it's not yes it's the be all and the end all because i want to win it but it's not the be all and end all because actually things will fluctuate in within that game so it's it's not that let's go from saturday to saturday and my learning hinges on how well i've done stuff from saturday to saturday just taking that step back and going actually well what's it look like over the last month or last six months or whatever that is and actually using as you say kind of those data points along the way to go here's some more information for you to process you know it becomes that kind of prime action reflect prime action reflect loop and it, it's just that continuous point but that's not that's not always based around solely on the performance of a Saturday. It's kind of connecting the dots and the trends and the, the, the nature of performance, I guess, in that way. But really interesting to, to just listen to you guys that, that, yeah, obviously there's major challenges around how you work with this type of stuff on a daily basis and operate it. But my, my, I guess my follow-up to that is where, where does kind of the, the gut feel come in for you guys because there's there's obviously a lot of stuff we can't measure or we, we don't have the the mechanism to measure at the moment so how how do you balance that within a player that comes to you and says i can't necessarily prove this but i feel like this is the right thing to do is that yeah great crack on is is that okay well we can try and measure it and support them in that or, or how does that kind of conversation look a little bit for you guys i'm happy to jump in here like we I, I, this is my belief. Uh, you guys, I don't know what you guys think, but like I, to me, there's almost like two strands of data now. One is this real objective stuff. It's almost like your tree trunk of data. So you've got, you know, really basic things that like carries, passes, tackles, things that are not ambiguous or shouldn't be ambiguous. Um, and then for me, like there's, there's a, is, and the branches that are off it are things that, Again, skill of an analyst. You, you couldn't ask um, a guy, a Joe Bloggs, hadn't been in to see your environment to do it because they, they wouldn't be able to pick up the context of it. And I think then you can like start to measure specific things. Like you can look at wh whatever it may be. It's going to be more subjective, obviously. Um, but again, I think like like Jack was saying earlier, like some some guys like statistics, and as long as they understand what, what the 
what the context is around it. Like that, that's absolutely fine. And as well, it's measured consistently. You know, I was doing something this morning on what we're doing going forward, and it took me 45 minutes to work out what the what the boundaries were, what rules I was going to set to measure it, if that makes sense. Like, and that's fine. And as long as you you've got like a a consistency to it and there's an understanding about it. And like you say, Phil, it's not going to be it's not it's not black and white. This isn't the reason you win or whatever, but it's it's something you can look at and 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 track and progress. And like if you're I'm talking about a team thing there, but if you're talking about individual players, you can involve them in that process if you like. If if they come to you say, I want to track this over time and you say, Yeah, this is this is how I'll track it, just FYI, there might be there's a bit of ambiguity around this, but this is how I'm going to measure it. They say, yeah, sweet. I think uh, there's probably a fear by by players about selection and coaches, select, like that type of thing that you also have to be concerned about. Um, but yeah, that's the way I see it. And I, I see like this, it's like this, I, I, I think the way it's going as well is like, you look at like NFL, um, you could probably vouch for this, Coops. I don't know what it's like with you guys, Jack, is that, it's almost like um, the data is getting collected. Like you don't have to worry about that sort of stuff now. It's an analyst can be analysts and do those specific bespoke projects. Like Arsenal, like a few years ago, had uh, analysts in just to do IDPs. I just focus on the players and work on doing tracking their IDPs. Like, I think that's class because again, you just got to focus on that thing you make it important and then you can track it over time instead of trying to do everything but like yeah that's my opinion i think this is like two strands of data now uh, I, th- I i i always say to people like don't be afraid of uh, measuring something because it's subjective as long as you're consistent and you can build uh context around it i don't think it's a problem yeah i, I think um i think it comes back to like where we talked about a lot is like the meanings and connections like that they might ask the question because it over, uh, we've, we, we've never played the game to their level. So we we also don't get an amount of learning on, on on the pitch that is probably the most information they can take on in the moment. It's actually, yeah, it's just a creating an environment to, one, they feel comfortable to chat to you about that or, or, or whatever, but actually, and then then go and explore it. Like for us as analysts, we've got to try and explore the reasons as to why they think like, they want to look at that, it's meaning. Um, be vulnerable ourselves to know that we might not know and, and then ex- and then explore. And actually a lot of them, I think what you're probably saying, Kaz, is a lot of the data that you collect on the branches, they will have some form of attachment, ta- more of attachment to meaning than the, the, the tree trunk one because they are them ones that, you know, them carries and tackles, then the, the data that's always going to be there. But actually, if, you, if you're looking at something around a philosophy of how you're trying to play the game in your branches, um, normally your philosophy is built attached to a meaning not an outcome but a meaning of what or, or an identity of what you're trying to do what you're trying to do yeah and then you can go and you know your subjectivity around it but create this kind of like this checklist of like this is our identity this is what we're looking for then i can go and collect some data around it and then you attach the meaning to your to your greater purpose of what you're trying to do off turnover or or whatever it may be yeah definitely i i you find that like that is much better anyway, isn't it? Because you're actually engaging in something, like you said, is meaningful for the player. So it also starts to become meaningful for you as well because you're you're almost involved in that process, if that makes sense, instead of just the, the standard that are just covering this for covering this sake or whatever. I 
think maybe different from where the two of you are at the moment, sort of just with the, the level and the training age of athletes. Um, but for me, with, with the girls at Wales, there's probably a massive psychology piece in there as well. And even if you're just sort of not humoring them, but making sure you engage in those, those conversations, then it, it, it encourages them to explore their game, explore their own game, their own performances, and to keep sort of that critical thinking going of different things they can measure to benefit the team or, or benefit each other. Um, so even just getting into those, those conversations where, like you say, Coops, we've not played at that level. Um, and we're we're not on the pitch at the moment, um, sort of exploring how the game's going. Um, but even if it's just encouraging the players to to think in that sort of way and to get into into those conversations about whether something's the right thing to measure, the wrong thing to measure, or the impact it can have in future, it just builds their confidence and knowledge of the game. Even if that sort of first thing they want to measure, you probably don't see the worth of. Fantastic. Guys, some great answers in there. Um, still conscious of time and we could probably spend all day here. But um, uh, yeah, we'll part that one, I think. And Jack, will come to you. OK, so um, mine's going slightly differently. Um, and I'm going to um, talk about uh, James Smith's second book, Not a Life Coach. Uh, and I'll paint a little picture of, of, sort of why this has been meaning to, meaningful to me recently. Um, and Phil, it sort of resonates with a guest you had um, recently from Rugby League. Um, so James Smith is a, a well-known uh, online PT um, and he's, he's fairly sort of polar uh, with his opinions, um, swears a lot on his social media. Um, but anyway, I connected, him with, connected with him a couple of years ago um, and wanted to pick his brains around um, online learning and uh, engaging uh, a remote audience. Um, so he came in to spend a day with us uh, with Sevens at the Lensbury uh, and we talked around sort of the different techniques he uses to, to engage clients um, who are other side of the world, sort of not face-to-face -face in their, their online uh, personal training stuff. Um, and a lot of the ideas, and again, as Kaz, Kaz mentioned, came down to, to social media and, and what this generation learns from and its pictures and images and 15 second videos and all that sort of thing. Um, anyway, sort of fast forward six months and Sevens was canned by the RFU and I was looking at redundancy, had a fair bit of time on my hands. Um, and I, I read his second book uh, just before Christmas and I'm not ashamed to say I was in quite a bad place at that time. Um, I've been made redundant. Um, I was applying for entry level jobs here, there and everywhere and sort of not hearing back. So my first takeaway from the book um, was sort of one of those cliche self-help type things. And it was a quote that if we could all put our problems into one big pile, we would instantly take all our own problems back away with us. So that struck a chord with, with me sort of personally and allowed me to sort of change my attitude a little bit to, to my redundancy and my situation that I was in. Um, but anyway, the second takeaway I've had um, from, from the book was around a phrase he's coined called gamification. And it was basically as we're, we're sort of all in sports, so we've got that sort of competitive nature about us anyway. It was turning everything into a secret competition so you just pick one person and it's, it's a competition whether you can 
walk more steps with them in a day or wake up earlier to get that gym session in or something like that. And again, probably with Kaz and Coops may not um, necessarily go with, with your athletes because they're, they're that minded anyway. But with my um, amateur athletes, it's something I'm trying to encourage that they're picking someone in a similar position and everything is a, a competition with that other person, whether it's their nutrition, the effort they're putting in the gym, their effort they're putting into their analysis, it's on the pitch. Everything is a secret competition with that person. Um, and then the third takeaway was from the, the sort of book in general, and it's, it's aimed towards sort of your, your Joe public and how they go about their life and again, their nutrition, their, their exercise, their well-being and everything. And it sort of grounded me a little bit to the athletes that I didn't know I was about to be working with. So didn't really consider working with a, an amateur squad um, as something I'd be doing. But then I found myself with the, the Wales women um, who all, as I've mentioned earlier, full-time jobs. Some of them have kids, like pressures outside of, outside of work. And they were training and playing for their country for the enjoyment of it there were no no financial benefits about playing for Wales or anything like that it was purely sort of their intrinsic motivation to do that um, and a, a lot of the themes throughout the book um, sort of relate really well to, to amateur athletes um, the stigma around women's sport the juggle between a work life sport balance so the book in general I thought prepared me really well for the job I was about to take on, even though I didn't know that job was on the horizon. Um, but then the, the sort of two messages earlier really sort of helped me when I was jobless and not sort of sure what the, the future was about to hold. I love it. That's some great, there's some real honesty and, and uh, reflection in there. So thank you for that. I, I guess my first question off the back of that is, is actually just what does your guys work life balance look like? Because because I, I maybe that stereotypical picture of an analyst is you're, you're working all day because you're, you're you know, coding live and you're reviewing the games and all this type of stuff. But you're also the one that's still up till three, four in the morning to, to cut all the clips and do everything. Is, is that still the case in some senses? Like how how do you manage that within, again, three you know similar roles, but three different environments? So Wales is quite different to, and, and then again, Sevens is quite different as well to probably what the, the boys do. Um, so Sevens was um, like a two-week tour um, with a, a competition in the, the second and the third weekend. So, and again, different to Fifteens, the, the coding was just non-stop throughout the day, probably not as late into the night because you, you'd already done it and it was shorter, sharper, 14 minutes and you sort of had to get that game done, four minute rest, another 14 minutes. Uh, I know some analysts work differently and they go away and wander around the stadium and take in a bit of the atmosphere, but, but my preferred style was just firing out the coding throughout the day, spend a couple of hours in the evening turning around your, your next day's competition. Um, uh, and then getting a, a better night's sleep, whereas 15s, you, you've, um, you've got a fair bit of coding through, sort of through the night. And again, then Wales women is different, um, especially COVID competitions. We only had three games in the Six Nations um, and it's sort of a, you're a one-man band in the, the majority of the women's teams. Um, so that probably is the, 
the coding through the day and, and the late night sort of thing, but you're only doing that for three weeks and then you're back to evenings, evenings training with the girls. Um, and again, there's just the, the resources available. You're, you're sort of limited to it. Um, but uh, sevens was definitely my preferred way. And it just you just have to keep up through the day and there's less of that sort of dragging on through the night sort of watching the time and watching the the match clock realizing how long you've got left to go through yeah um for us um we try good relationship with coaches we ask kind of one simple question like if you want to look at something something else has to come out like we 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 don't uh, it's not an endless endless pot of time um and it's, it's going back to that kind of quote, if you know, if you're looking at everything, you're looking at nothing. And it's okay not to look at everything because you can't look at everything. So um, that was a big thing. Going back to them individuals, that was a big discussion with the coaches to, to see, like, it saved a lot of time, but it freed a bit of time up to then go and focus on the branches and the trees that we talked about earlier. Um, so, yeah, you do get, you do you know, your matches, if you're, if you're five o'clock, seven o'clock, you know, they, they are late as such, but I think we are also seeing a, the kind of coaches that are coming through now, if your processes are right and, and your relationships are right, that actually coaches are bringing stuff to the table as well that they're working on because they're not just watching codes, they're watching the game. Our game understanding, the way we see the game is, you can see that new generation coming through. So I think if you, if you have good relationships with your coaches and you, and you kind of like build that narrative of kind of What's the focus? What are you trying? What's your game model? How are you looking to play? You know how you want your environment to be in terms of learning, linking with your culture. I think you can get a good balance. If not, you can end up down a rabbit hole where we've all done it as young coaches. You take our uh, young amateurs, you say yes to a lot of things, and then before you know it, you get asked a question about rugby, and you're a little bit off it because you've just spent all the time coding actually you haven't seen the difference in the game or you haven't noticed something different. Um, um, so it's, it's, it's also been, for me, it's been comfortable within the group you've got. Like, uh, and it's different for you, Jack, at the moment, with being more on your own and one-man band, but we've got three or four analysts and, and actually creating an environment that means, like, more isn't more. You know, it, it isn't about that. It's about giving them the ability to go they want to go look at something and feel it's important. That's great. How are you going to deliver that with your coach? How are you going to build trust that it's something that they allow you to look at? Find out what needs taken away and then go and do it. Like, um, because you, otherwise it's not sustainable. This job won't be sustainable. I, I guess I'd jump off the back of that. I, I agree with what you're both saying. I, it's a bit different for us. Like we're, the way I look at that, like we go through like intense periods. So like we obviously now we're not we're not playing, but when we're in camp, we're in the whole time and we don't go home, we stay there for the, for that duration. I guess similar to you, Jack. Um, and those those periods are pretty intense. Like they're one of the one of the just touching on a couple of things you boys have said there, like um like I one of the things I found hard is that it, there's because it's so intense, there's so much going on. And like you say, there's so many things to focus on. I, again, it probably goes on to the part two you were speaking about, uh, Phil, is the, the the recommendation I was going to say was ties onto that quite nicely is, is deep work by Cal Newport. But essentially, 
in a nutshell, the, the book is about you have two types of work. You have deep work and, and shallow work. Shallow work is you responding to emails, uh, being on WhatsApp, sending things around, um, alerts, that type of thing. Like, uh, And like it's finding time to have deep work where you don't get distracted. And that, that, that was the thing that helped me massively in my environment was that during those intense periods, I wasn't getting distracted by random questions asked by coaches or it was right during these times. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll do that, but I'm going to do it in these times. Like these times I'll, I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm not going to, and that was, that helped me massively to start with is that every morning, um, we'll come back from the gym. Sorry, guilty. <laughs> um, I, I will, I'll have an hour in my room where I'm not distracted and I tell the coaches that I'm, I won't be, you can't contact me during these hours unless it's Eddie, obviously. Um, but then like that helped me to start with. And like, I like that quote there where you're saying more is more, like less is more is the thing, isn't it? Coops? Like, again, if you've got decent, if you've got good processes in place, um, if you can educate your coaches to do certain things, then your environment's a bit better that you can, I always find that people think that, oh, yeah, the analysts are doing less work, but it's not like that. It means that you can just go on and do different things. Um, and that biggest bang for buck. And just to jump again off the back, what Coop said is that uh, one of the things I do after training now is I watch it. Like I don't, I, like, I try and be like, a, I try and watch training because I, I do the same thing. Like we, we measure so much stuff in training now. I just afterwards, it's like, oh, I need to measure this. I try and watch it first, get a feel and a flow might affect my um, bias to a, towards the coding stuff. But what I do feel is that when a, when a meeting comes around or you bump into a coach, you've got, because it's always hard as an analyst when you're, when you're filming training, you don't quite get that feel when you're, when you're on the pitch, like you can, you can, you can do bits like use microphones and that type of thing, but it's still not quite the same as being a coach. Hmm. Like, you, you know, it's like Phil, you get those, those moments where you feel what's going on. So like, that's another thing is like watching rugby and that's part of that deep work is like, I'll just, I'll pick out a game and I'll watch 20 minutes of it, um, not get distracted. Then I will start to look at statistics off the back of that and be like, oh, actually quite interesting to what like thought this. So again, it's like using intuition and data and being able to, to marry them up. No, I, mean, I don't, I don't think the field's changed that much. Fairly. I think you're both spot on and sort of to pick up on sort of what you've both said. I think there's, like you said, Kaz, there's, there's a bit about upskilling coaches. Um, like if if they say, oh, I suddenly want all this coding. So, well, like, as you said, Coops, I, I've not got time for that because I'm doing this, this and this for the other the other coaches. But we can set you up if if you want to do it yourself. And then there's, there's sort of that leads on to blurring the lines between coaches and analysts and what... Um, Simon Amor um, sort of encouraged me to do and to bounce off what you said there, Kaz. I realised I didn't sort of watch training properly. You Like you say, you're filming it through a, a three-inch screen. You're not really seeing what's going on. Then you're sort of rushing to, to turn around any coding, get it uploaded to whatever platform it might be. And coach comes in and said, oh, what do you think of that? So, well, actually, I didn't really know. I was that switched on to sort of my processes and getting the filming right and getting the coding quickly. I haven't actually taken in what's gone on. And, and Simon Amor sort of encouraged me to, to blur sort of my analyst title as it was. And he said, like, once you've finished filming training, get onto the pitch and help with the coaching, help with the extras, whether it's 
standing there catching the ball for someone passing or helping someone with some of their breakdown technique or something. And A, it gives you a better understanding of, of sort of what's going on, but it also gives the, the athletes a better, well, in theory, a better trust of, of sort of where you're at and your knowledge. And if you're able to say, well, actually, you're, you're painting a good picture there for the referee and breakdown, well, oh, I feel like I'm off my feet. It was like, well, no, you're actually pretty solid there. Like you're showing a good picture. Referee's not going to ping that sort of thing. So it's, it's blurring those lines. You're getting, I mean, coaches are probably some of the best analysts. The things they're, they're picking out in the games, um, the trends they're picking out, the styles they're picking out, um, the moves they're sort of picking out. Um, they're probably better analysts, if you sort of define the word, the, than we are. It's, it's about blurring those lines and getting coaches sort of measuring their own thing, which, like you said, Coops, frees us up to do our, our day-to-day, the bulk of the, the coding, the statistics. Um, but it also helps us with our understanding if we're blurring our lines as well and getting involved with the coaching. And I, I'm finding that's tougher now with COVID because everything has to be covered with a, a camera. You can't sort of switch off and leave it to go and help with the extras. Um, but uh, no, I definitely think it's important to, to blur those lines a little bit. And it was definitely something that Simon Amor encouraged me to do was to sort of drop the camera every now and then and, and get involved on the pitch. Jack, just to jump on that as well, mate, I reckon that's that's a huge topic around match day. Like, uh, again, everybody tries to cover that that balance of covering data on a match day compared to actually what you're seeing to then be able to use data. Mm-hmm. If you can get data inputted in some way or shape or form or automating it, as it will get to that point, you know, in, yeah. in five, ten years' time, everything will be automated. You know, cameras will be good enough, they'll pick it all up like to for the analyst to to be able to i mean we get asked all the time like what's going on like what's the flow of the game like and so obviously you can't do that if you're constantly uh like constantly looking at the data so that's that's a massive thing i found with match day i think it follows on to that quite nicely it's it's a question i want to ask in my next sort of review or i might not leave it that long is do you want a fourth pair of eyes in the coaching box or do you want a coding monkey because I can't do both and if you're asking me questions and I'm a couple of minutes behind and I'm then trying to find like the bit of data you need or how many breakdown penalties we've given away or something it's like I can't do both of those again if you've got a second analyst in the in the box with you then it's probably something you you can you can double up on but what's again we go to that phrase bang for your buck do you want a an analytical mind in that coaching box who can give opinions or or notice things or do you want someone who's coding um so they've got a, a team code ready to go as soon as the final whistle goes yeah 100%. was there some great questions that I'm, I'm conscious coops has got to uh shoot off so coops do you want us do you want to kind of hit us up with your additional recommendation and then uh we'll kind of finish things off and you can uh, you can disappear yeah mate, i've got Got two actually. Um, I've got just showing off there, isn't he? <laughs> no, no, no. You read two books, these are just 20 minute TED talks, right? <laughs> 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 only deal in 20 minutes. No, no, I did two because I'm so I'm currently reading The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, but I'm sure it's, it's been out for a few years now, but I'm not fully through it, so that's one of my recommendations. Um, I just like um, the journey it takes you through at the minute about some of the key skills you need around building safety, vulnerability, uh, and establishing a purpose. I think anyone who's in a, not even a high-performing environment, 
I imagine business, I imagine all sorts, like you, you're trying to, everyone's trying to understand their culture, how you build culture, how you're successful with culture. So there's a few books out there, but I'm, I'm just currently enjoying this one. Um, and then the other one was a, I don't know if you saw, but during lockdown, there was a podcast called The Flying Coach with Steve Kerr and Peter Carroll. Um, obviously two very successful coaches, um, but they just did an episode with Brene Brown on vulnerability. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an area that ties in with culture because you need to build or create vulnerability in a relationship it has with trust. Um, and it's just an area I'm really interested in at the minute around part of that relationship building and whether it's with coaches or with players, with your peers, with your, with your fellow analysts is, is um, kind of that storytelling around how, how to be vulnerable and create a safe space to then, because that's often where you probably challenge yourself more. To, to then get better or help with a player and, or, or with coaches. So it's just an area I'm, I'm, I'm hugely interested in at the minute. So it's a good lesson. It's from, I think it's from the start of lockdown. So like I say, it's probably 10, 11 months old, but Brene Brown's a, a big, big, uh, big professor in that area. Mate, love it. Top recommendations. Thank you very much. Uh, if you need to shoot, mate, then by all means, just, uh, just jump off. Yeah, I'm to, sorry, guys. No, no, man. All good. Good to see you all. Uh, Jack hits up what is your recommendation uh, so my recommendation is a book called Outliers by Martin Gladwell um, and it basically goes over loads of different success stories um, within uh, and those being sort of anom anomalies I can't say the word anomalies um, and as the as the title suggests outliers to the norm uh, and why they've been successful in in various areas of 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 business some of them are, are cities within the country that have, have been different um so it's just a, a really good book about success and why things are su successful love it thank you very much I, I, I don't know if you've listened but revisionist history is, is one of my favorite podcasts from um gladwell like just the way he thinks about stuff and, and speaks is fantastic so um yeah superb kaz i know you've mentioned yours but just just run us through what it was again for me please if you can yeah, so it's um, Deep Work by Cal Newport. So again, just um, just that concept. It's not specifically, it's it's not specifically about um, analysis or coaching, but it's it's essentially an effective way of working. Like um, people who require, there's obviously jobs in the world that require you to be on your emails all the time and and that type of thing. But it's people who require. Uh, some sort of deep work that have to focus on something for them to advance then it's it's essentially he's, he's speaking he, he, he's what he speaks about is the modern world is, is changing it's you get distracted so quickly it's actually there's some alarming statistics about like if you look at your whatsapp whilst you're doing some work it takes you x amount of time for you to get fully back into that work um, so yeah, around that, essentially it's maximizing your time. And I think like in professional sport, the reality is, and, and analysts, and, as you know, Jack, there isn't, there isn't much time um, to do everything. So like, again, it's, it's just maximizing your time. And again, how you, how you structure your to-do lists and, and that type of thing, some really good tips and stuff around that, that I, I found really helpful. I'll jump over back because a second book, probably one of the first books I read with, um, like when I start getting into this field was 
Okay, it's a really old one, but um, the gold mine effect by Rasmus Ankerson. The reason I loved that so much was just the fact that it's almost like that exploring. Uh, there's, you know, there's got to be a reason why people are good at certain things. And like, uh, for those who don't know the book, it's quite simple. He goes to like six gold mines around the world. Like, let's say King, a Kingston running club that produced bolts, Safa Powell, etc. And he kind of tried to investigate what were the key things from that environment. Ethiopia with running, Brazil with football, that type of thing, which is a really good book because, again, it gives you, it for, for, for people who are working in sport, that you're always trying to find, you're trying to find what, what you never really find what the, the, the golden answer is, if you like, but it's, it's just that exploring different things. And yeah, uh, that, that was a really good book to read. Fantastic. Top man, thank you very much for that. Um, boys, I've loved this. This has been really, really insightful um, in just some of the challenges that you guys face and and how you've kind of gone about overcoming them. So thank you very much. Um, Going to round up the roundup. Uh, to everyone listening, we hope you found it uh, useful and enjoyed the episode. Thank you again to my guests for their time and contributions from excellent discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. Please subscribe, like and share. As always, like thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well.